It's Thursday, May 13th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Asa Sharma. Good to see you. Good to see you, Chris. I am really excited to join you today because when you gave me the lineup of stocks you were interested in, I've got stories behind almost all of these. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. That's why you're here. Um, We've got some earnings to get to. Bill Ackman is back in the news, and we're going to talk about that. But let's start with Casper Sleep. Casper Sleep raised guidance for the full fiscal year after their first quarter loss was smaller than expected. Revenue in the first quarter was higher than expected. And this was looking like it was going to be a really good day for shareholders. And it has not turned out to be a really good day for shareholders. Uh, pre-market, the stock was up close to 10%. It reversed course. It's basically flat right now. Uh, start wherever you want, but I'm curious what you see when you look at Casper Sleep. So Generally, I see positive things, Chris. Um, I haven't listened in on the call, so I don't know what management might have said to kill the enthusiasm they created with this nice earnings report. This is a tough industry. I am a big fan of a company called Sleep Number, which is a competitor of Casper Sleep. Casper Sleep is starting to impress me a little bit, though. Well, you know, so let's work through these numbers, and then we'll talk about the stories behind them. So, uh, as you mentioned, revenue increased. It was up 20% to 178 million year over year. They're direct to consumer revenue, so. This includes their retail stores and their online sales. That increased 11%. But North America Retail Partnership revenue, this increased 54%. So what is this? This is Casper Sleep selling through partners like um, Nordstrom's, Ashley Store, Sam's Club. It is gradually getting into really great venues to sell their price point of mattress, which isn't super expensive. I thought that number was great. The other thing... Uh, which is impressive in this report, is that their gross profit increased, um, and not so much the uh, margin increase, which was impressive, but just the fact that they're throwing some gross profit on the books. So that gross margin percentage was up um, 5.4 percentage points. Uh, this was to a total of 52%. Why does this matter? <laughs> because gross profit pays the bills. And when you're running a mattress business, you know, I know this is going to sound very simplistic here, but friends, sometimes we have to reduce these concepts to the the, the simplest equation. You got to sell a mattress at a price that's going to cover your fixed expenses. And gradually they're doing that. I was skeptical on this stock for a long time, Chris, because of the low gross margin, but it's creeping up as they sell more into these online channels. And the third story here is that they're increasing their brand awareness. They're starting to sell pillows and other accessories. Those are growing at a a pretty nice clip. So all in all, if you're a shareholder, you have to be pleased here. This is not the kind of report that makes me want to diversify my investments in the mattress industry and add Casper to my sleep number shares. But I want to give them some props for this. And I am guessing that um, though they raised guidance, maybe the conference call discussed uh, some problems still that could creep up in their supply chain or that beyond this latest raise, maybe there's a lack of visibility there. But at least for the period they just completed, these numbers look good to me. What did you think of this report? So you mentioned sleep number. And if you look at the competitive landscape when it comes to mattresses and 
You know, Casper Sleep has some work to do, not just in terms of their own business, but in terms of the stock, because it, it went public at $12 a share. It's still below that IPO price. And if you're just looking at, you know, if you're taking the basket approach and you're saying, all right, I'm going to buy equal shares of Casper Sleep and Purple Innovation and Sleep Number, well, Casper Sleep is is the laggard <laughs> by a wide yeah, it's, margin. It's the hole in your basket right now. Yeah, of those three. But I, I, I do I do agree that, you know, the, the moves they're making um, are the moves you would want to see. And this may be a situation where if you buy a few shares today, a year from now or two years down the line, you're happy that you did that because, uh, you know, it may be a situation where in hindsight, this was the time to buy. Um, the expansion of the brand to, uh, to go from Casper Mattress to Casper Sleep, um, you know, as, as you said, this, this may be overly simplistic, but that's important. You know that's a that's a small change, but I think that's important. It it provides them um, uh, more opportunities. And uh, look, mattresses are one of those things. This is this is not the razor and blade model. This is not the, the <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna repeat purchase uh, this every month or or even every year. But it is the sort of thing where if you are happy with the products they are making, you are so much more likely to go back to them somewhere down the line and you know whether you're you know as we're seeing with the housing market and people looking to get into bigger houses you know you're um, throwing one of these things in a guest room like i don't know it's they're, they're doing the right things but it's um this is not as ron gross would say a business that is at the moment firing on all cylinders true it, you know it's one that's um and let's not go back to to my bad knowledge of cylinders from last week. But let's talk about that for, for just a second. This is one that uh, seems like it's the ignition is turned. You know, it's it's in gear. Is it in a high gear yet? No. If this I have a, a Mazda 3, I can't get rid of it because it's a stick shift, Chris. I know I should replace this car, but I just love the stick shift and they're they're going away. But if this were me, I'd be like in third gear. Um, not yet in, in fourth gear. They're they're in third gear, and that's not a bad place to be. I like what you mentioned about the industry having um, some nice tailwinds behind it for now. And they do have this component of trying to move beyond uh, the mattress uh, sales into these accessories. Maybe you buy the mattress, you like it, you like the brand, you buy the pillows, you buy blankets, etc. So we'll see. But nothing today screaming, go out and buy the stock. However, if you're a shareholder, this was a good report. First quarter profits and revenue for Yeti Holdings came in higher than expected. Yeti makes outdoor gear, coolers, insulated drinkware. They raised guidance for the full fiscal year and shares of Yeti up a little bit today. Yeah, this is another brand story. This is part of the story, Chris, but a personal story here. I had poured over this S1 for Yeti. They're offering prospectus when they went public with Vince Shen, uh, one of our really great analyst who is now taking time in, in Taiwan and hanging out there. And I made this cute little, I thought it was a cute little pun at the time. Is it time to buy this stock, Yeti? <laughs> <laughs> I never bought this stock. I was a little skeptical of, the, of their brand power because the company presented itself to the public as a brand that was going to catch on with young millennials. They were um, working with influencers on Instagram. And I remember we were recording Industry Focus, 
and Austin Morgan, who was um, producing that day, was telling us about their brand power and how all his friends were buying the coolers and the drinkware. And I still didn't get the story. I focused in a little bit too much on the numbers. But um, as they have proven, uh, here's another company that has capitalized during COVID. Uh, lifestyle purchases really ramped up over the last year. And as the economy reopens, I think more people are going to be going out into the, the outdoors. And so those are further tailwinds for them. Just to look at some of these uh, pretty nice numbers they had, net sales were up 42% year over year. That direct to consumer channel that they've been building for years was very strong. So this is for them more of the online sales, uh, e-commerce sales up 56%. But their wholesale channel, that was up, those revenues were up 27% year over year. And I wanna point out to investors before the pandemic hit, just before the pandemic hit, management was really talking up their expansion into some bigger outlets like Lowe's. They have a new partnership with Lowe's. That never really got off the ground because you know Lowe's had shuttered a lot of its stores last year. This could be uh, sort of an understated part of their story going forward. They're expanding beyond some of the smaller venues that we're in. I think, Chris, again, they will build brand power. So similar in a way to Casper Sleep, and the last thing I wanted to mention before hearing your take on this is they are really, really investing around the globe to bring this band, which is brand, which is popular down south and now popular in more parts of the U.S., into Canada, into Australia, into the U.K., uh, various countries in Europe, into Asia, using sort of the same strategy. They go into a country and hit the social media. So I think they may have success. Global sales make up only about 6% of the total top line, but you know those tripled last year versus the prior year. So they're on their way there. This is one that got away from me, Chris. I still haven't bought shares. Um, at some point, I think I'm just going to have to bite the bullet <laughs> and, and, and take a position here. Yeah, I think it went public somewhere around $16 a share back in 2018. It's now north of $80 a share. This is a business that is so much bigger and is doing so many more things than I thought they were. Because I heard, you know, heard Yeti and I thought, oh yeah, the drink company. Yeah, they do the insulated, yeah, got it. They make the coolers. They have so many different products. Uh, it, it looks like they're taking the same approach because the, you know, the thing about those Yeti cooler, those insulated drink holders, it's like those things are so durable. And it looks like they take the exact same approach to their apparel, to their camping gear, like all this sort of thing. Um, you know, you mentioned the stuff with Lowe's. I think that's it's another strength of this business is they appear to be doing a very good job of balancing the direct to consumer, which is so important for any retailer, with the partnerships, uh, you know, Bass Pro Shops and that sort of thing. Um, I'll be curious to see how, I by my count, I think they have five physical stores of their own. Um, I'll be curious to see how, how many more they get, because it seems like the sort of thing where um, I, I wouldn't expect them to have too many more. Um, I, I, I don't see the strategy being like, oh, we want to uh, we want hundreds of stores across the United States. I think they, they're almost more like destination stores at this point. But um, yeah, this is a seven billion dollar company. And um, it, it really seems like if they can, you know, even modestly grow outside the United States, then this stock still has a lot of room to run. 
Yeah, so you, that market cap, is, as you mentioned, su- you know, while you slept, <laughs> surprisingly big. And I agree on all of those points. Yeti is a company, I think, with you know a lot of potential, strong brand. And I love what you mentioned about just having a few stores. Reminds me of Canada Goose, a, a company that you know we, we might have spoken about today because they also reported earnings. But they have a few experiential stores. Um, where people go in and have that Canada Goose experience. Same with Yeti. I think their stores are more about experimenting with the products, and then they just drive those partnerships and that very strong online business. So, yep, the one that got away. What do we have up <laughs> next? <laughs> uh, w- one quick plug for Motley Fool Money this week. Um, uh, my guest is going to be Brad Stone, uh, senior editor at Bloomberg. He, uh, best-selling author of... Uh, the really great book from, I think, seven years ago, The Everything Store, about Amazon. He is back with another book about Amazon called Amazon Unbound, Jeff Bezos and the Invention of a Global Empire. Um, it is, uh, it is not surprisingly, a fantastic book. And uh, so I'm interviewing Brad later today. So that'll be on Motley Fool Money this week. So check that out this weekend. Bill Ackman is back in the news uh, because... Uh, he and his comrades at Pershing Square have apparently sold their stake in Starbucks. I guess they announced that a month or two ago. Um, and what has Bill Ackman done with that money? He has taken a 6% stake in Domino's Pizza. And this is unfair to Bill Ackman, but when I hear his name, I automatically think of Herbalife. And just the the knockdown drag-out fight... Um, he had with Carl Icahn over Herbalife. But, you know, as you pointed out, when you and I were going back and forth this morning, you look at the investments that Bill Ackman has made in restaurants, pretty good track record. Absolutely, Chris. And I think you put your finger on what is so interesting about this story. Bill Ackman, a great investor, one of the greats. I will say in the same breath, uh, no offense, also one of the worst. <laughs> Of people who uh, manage billions, he's made some spectacularly bad investments. Uh, Valiant Pharmaceuticals is an example. That ill-fated short bet on Herbalife, which, you know, philosophically, I agree with, with that short because I have never been able to quite understand those financials, Chris, and how they are able to present uh, under gap the, the way their company operates. And that, that multi-level angle for Herbalife always bothers me. Um He also has um, invested in Borders Group and lost money there. Remember Borders? But then he's made a lot of really good investments sticking to some more basic concepts. So purchase shares, significant stake in Chipotle. Those shares doubled, I think, in about four years um, as Chipotle recovered. As you mentioned, he bought Starbucks. And I remember writing an article for fool.com where I was sort of amazed at the numbers within 19 months, those, I think hundreds of millions that he had poured in gained 73 odd percent uh, in the first 19 months of his investment. I think I wrote this article maybe early uh, last year or late in uh, 2019. So when he sticks to some very basic concepts, let's go back to simplicity. As we were talking about at the beginning of the show, he's done pretty well. And I see simplicity here. And, and I think this is actually a good call. So maybe one more to the positive side of the ledger. You, you have to like Domino's. Number one, it's got a spectacular return since it, it went public. Thousands and thousands of um, percentages 
points of return. It's still a relatively small company for being the world's largest pizza chain. Chris, speaking of market caps, we were talking about Yeti being a $7 billion company. Domino's Pizza is just a $16 billion company, so larger than Yeti, but still has room to grow, and it is also expanding around the world. So I believe that stake that Bill Ackman took, you know, it's significant, but it again could pay off because this is one of the companies that you think about in the restaurant space that has only grown stronger through COVID, always had a tech stack that was a little bit more advanced than the rest of the industry. And and here I'm not just talking about the pizza industry, but the whole quick service and, and restaurant industry in that sense, they we're always forward in developing apps and still invest a lot in technology. So I like this one. Uh, you know, it doesn't change my idea about Bill Ackman that he is sometimes his own worst enemy, but but I could get behind this. What are your thoughts? Uh, well, two thoughts. Um, for anyone who hasn't seen the documentary Betting on Zero, uh, I believe it's on Netflix. It came out a few years ago. Um, it's, a, it's a documentary about Herbalife. Um, and one of the amazing things that Ted Braun, the director, manages to do in that documentary is he makes Bill Ackman this very, like, almost sympathetic hero type character. Um, and depending on what you read about Bill Ackman and the way he conducts business, um, he, he might not be the, necessarily the nicest person in the world. <laughs> so, um, but it's, it, it's a brilliantly done documentary. Um, in terms of this, I think if you're a Domino's shareholder, you, you have to view this as a positive because um, a number of reasons, chief among them, Rich Allison is doing such a good job running this company that this is not a situation, you know, there, there are plenty of times when Bill Ackman or any activist investor takes a stake in a business and they are showing up with their list of demands of things they want to change. Um, Bill Ackman appears to be making this investment because he thinks for all of the success of this business and this stock, it still has a lot of room to run. Um, so I don't get the sense that he's, you know, heading to Michigan to knock on Rich Allison's door to say, "Look, here, here are my ideas to make the business better." Yeah, and, and it's so very interesting too, just on the level of where Pershing Capital, Pershing Square Capital, um, which is that the hedge fund that Bill Ackman runs, could have placed some of the the money that it realized when it sold out of its Starbucks position. I mean, there's been no dearth of great IPOs, interesting SPAC companies. Now, of course, here we are today, May 13th. These growth stocks have been down for several weeks, but over the last few months, he could have gone into some new names. And I think this shows an ability to sort of stick to one's own knitting here. And I totally agree with you, Chris. I don't think that he's there to agitate. He's there just to take the shares, maybe give some advice, some friendly advice, but stay out of Rich Allison's way and let this company keep performing as it has for so long. So we we can learn a little lesson here that you don't always have to get distracted by what's shiny and new. Now, personally, I do like some of the shiny and new stuff. I think there's great innovation going on in the economy, Um, fun places to invest. But do I like the idea of a forward-looking consumer stock that still has room to grow. I have a lot of them in my portfolio, so I can't argue with this one too much. Asa Sharma, great talking to you. Thanks for being here. 
Thanks so much for having me, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. Thank you.